met it. It's such good news that in the, in the cross of Jesus Christ, we see perfect justice and perfect mercy. The justice, the, the wrath that God kindled against our sin was justified through the cross. But here's the beauty with the mercy is that the sin and it being justified wasn't you on the cross, but that it was mercy that God decided to spare you and crucify the innocent. And then the guilty get to walk free. Is that not amazing news? Grateful for the gospel of Jesus, of Jesus Christ, a message that we hold dear uh, to our heart. And we'll hear a little bit more about that during our, uh, our vision presentation. Well, it is delight. I have a true delight this morning to be here with you uh, gathered around the excellencies of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And uh, let me take this opportunity as well to welcome any first-time visitors. If this is your first time here, um, we're not going to make you raise your hand again, but we are grateful that you are here. We're honored that you're here. And uh, if you don't have to rush out, we love to say hi to you. So uh, if you don't have to rush out, we just hang around for a minute and, um, and, and talk to us and let us hear a little bit of your story. You can stop anybody that has a how can, uh, how can we serve uh, uh, tag on or anybody that you see worshiping or singing or anybody that looks like they're a part. You can uh, speak to them, but we'd love to just hear a little bit about you. Well, we are coming off of a week of solemn assembly, a fast, a corporate fast to where we really, for the entire week, Monday through Friday, shut down our normal diets, our normal eating habits. And I, I don't know about y'all, but I realized this week that I eat when I, I'm hungry, but I also eat when I'm not even hungry. Uh, and there, there were moments where I was craving stuff that I don't even like to eat. Like, I don't even like veal. And I was like, man, I want some veal right now. I'm like, that's, you, you know it's the, the, the devil when... Uh, when you crave stuff that you don't even really like. But this week has been, been a great week of really setting the rhythm of what the rest of the year should be like. Like our devotion to the Lord shouldn't stop because the solemn assembly stopped this week. But my hope is that we'll continue it throughout the rest of 2017. And many prayers have been offered up in this room. I mean, I've spent a few hours right here on the altar, no one else in the building um, just me right on the altar, just praying for many of you individually and specific needs for our church. And on Tuesday night, we came in here and offered up a lot of a lot of prayers for many different things. And so I'm grateful for uh, you guys, those that participated. Well, today is Vision Sunday. Uh, let me define what Vision Sunday is. Typically, we go through a passage or a series or a book here, but once a year, at the beginning of the year, particularly in January, we like to do what's known as Vision Sunday. And that just simply means that we will cast a recast vision and we'll also look back in retrospect at how faithful the Lord has been through 2016. Um, one of the things I know about vision is that it's so, so, so very important for a church. Jeremiah 29, 18 says that where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. In fact, the King James Version says the people perish. And so vision is very important to continue to put in front of you. It's easy for us to get in the rhythm of what Sunday morning is and forget about what the actual vision of the church is. And so um, if you're going to be here for our covenant community classes for the next three weeks, you'll get a snippet of what that is today as we walk through vision. So I'll look back at 2016, but I'll also push us forward at some things that I think the Lord is calling us to do. So our time together will be a little different Nevertheless, we'll always be in the Word, so if you could 
quickly turn with me to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 is where we're going to spend at least our time in the word. And then uh, I'll walk through some, some slides with you guys and direct you guys' attention to the screen. Let me do this. Let me pray first and then we'll, uh, we'll go to the text. Acts 19 is where you can meet me though. Uh, Father, this morning we approach your word with reverence and with awe. And uh, today we do thank you for your infallible word that you've given us. You didn't have to give us this. You could have... Uh, left us to try to figure this thing out on our own, but we are grateful that you've given us your word, and we believe, we just truly believe that your, your word is the, the actual breathed word of you. These are your thoughts on paper, and we are submitting our lives to them, and we gather every single week not to hear my opinion, but we, wanna, we just want to sit under what you have to say. And so, Father, would you meet us like you do every single morning? Would you give me strength? We thank you this morning for traveling mercy. So many of us had uh, slipped in and we, we slid to get in. And um, I'm thankful this morning that we poured into your house uh, to hear your word. So would you meet us and satisfy uh, that deep longing in our soul? And that deep longing can only be filled with Jesus. So may the gospel be clear and proclaimed with power. In Christ's name, we do pray. Amen. This is how we're going to do our time this morning. There's a bunch of scriptures I really want to walk through within Acts 19. And let me tell you before I even jump in why I want to walk through Acts 19 for our Vision Sunday. Uh, Because Acts 19 was a passage that the Lord really used when it came to the birthing the desire to plant this church. Why? Because Acts 19 records for us the birthing or the starting of the church at Ephesus. And the church at Ephesus started through some, and you'll see, I mean, honestly, I could read the text and then say amen because the text literally preaches itself today. Uh, And so we get to look at how that church started and glean from a little bit from that. And so what we'll do is I'll walk through the text, read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit, and then I'll put you guys on the screen. Let me just say, though, that Acts 19 shows us how the spirit moved in Ephesus. And let me just tell you before we even dive into the text that Ephesus was completely rocked because the church was on his job, because the church was doing exactly what it was supposed to be doing, because Paul was, I mean, just brilliant in how he was used the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to plant this church through some crazy events. And you'll see these events as we walk through Acts 19. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about Ephesus. Ephesus within the New Testament is, I mean, it is a stellar, a a beastie church, if you will. It is one of the only churches that we have a lot of information on within the sacred text. What do I mean by that? This is the only church that we get to see the starting of the church in Acts 19. We get a letter to the Ephesians church through Paul in the book of Ephesians. First and second Timothy. Timothy was an elder at the church in Ephesians and Ephesus. And John, first, second, and third John. John was an elder at the church at Ephesus. Let me just tell you, I've been praying the Lord would raise up elders here. But when you have Timothy... And John, as an elder at the church, this church is sure to nail it. This church is sure to kill it. I mean, you have someone who, you have two people who wrote scripture as elders of the church, and Paul, who wrote 75% of the New Testament as the church planter, as the starter of the church. And as we pray through elders here, I can assure you, they'll preach from the scriptures, but they won't write scripture. 
And so you have here a, a church that is um, really should be doing well. And then Revelations 2 records the, the seven letters to the churches, and one of those churches is Ephesus. So we got a bunch of information on the church at Ephesus. Uh, and what I want to do today is just look at how they started. So if you could zoom in and meet me in verse 18. Again, we'll, I usually try to do expositional, which is, I mean, go through verse by verse. We just can't do that today. I want to do eight through uh, 23, and again, let the story just speak for itself. Verse 8, and he entered the synagogue for three months. He is talking about Paul. Three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of, of the way before the congregation, he withdrew and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Let's stop there for a second because this really shows us what, what I would think is the first vision of the church, at least at Ephesus, because he's in the synagogues, which is normally where Jews gathered. Not normally, that is where Jews gathered. And they gathered in the synagogues. Paul was, went into Ephesus and the first thing he did was went into the synagogue. What is he trying to do? He's trying to reason and persuade and talk to the Jews through the Old Testament about Jesus Christ. And so he's doing that for three months. But then the Bible says in verse number nine that he leaves the synagogues and he goes to the hall of Tyrannus with his disciples. Now, the hall of Tyrannus is where the Gentiles gathered. This is important for us to know because what we see with Paul going from the synagogues to the hall of Tyrannus, which is where Gentiles gathered, is that the church at Ephesus was birthed through diversity. Understand, there was no other place in the scriptures where you got to see Jews and Gentile operate and really be in relationship in a meaningful way. There was nowhere else to look at that but in the church. That's why I rejoice when I look around this church every Sunday and I see many different ethnicities. That's important for the church. The ethnic diverse church is not some new phenomenon. It is a biblical norm. Why am I saying it's a biblical norm? Because Paul was in the synagogues reasoning with Jews. Then he heads down to the hall of Tyrannus, gets to the hall of Tyrannus. And the scripture doesn't just say that he was there for a few minutes or a few hours or even a few days. Look at the rest of the scripture. Verse number 10. This continued for two years. So that all the residents, you should circle all, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. It affirms again, Paul was reaching both Jews and Greeks to start the church at Ephesus. And he was there for two years. And it's important to note that all of the town or the, uh, all of Asia heard the word of God. And that has been my prayer since we planted this church. My prayer has been that all of Brooklyn would hear the word. That should be your prayer that all of Brooklyn would hear the word. 2.6. Can you imagine 2.6 million people hear the gospel? There's a mosque down on Bedford and uh, Bedford and Fulton. And three times a day, if you walk by that, especially when it's nice outside, you'll hear they'll pump from a loudspeaker a prayer or they'll pump something from a loudspeaker. What they're trying to do is get all of the residents in that area to hear whatever they're pumping through that speaker. But I don't want to set up a speaker outside of our window. I want you to be the speaker. 
I want to leave our little gathering, this cushy gathering where we sit on these new chairs that you bought and you paid for. I want to leave this little gathering, get you out, scatter throughout Brooklyn so that you can be a speaker, so that you can be an agent, so that you can be what the scriptures call an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Listen, the church was never meant to sit and gather on Sunday morning, and that's it. That's a part of our walk. But the other part is that you should be out. You should be out. You should be in community, and you should go out, and you should scatter. Where you do life, where you do work, where you work, the coffee shops you go to, the grocery stores you go to, go through the same line at the grocery store every single time you go so that you can get to know that one person that's at the, at the counter so that after some period of time, you can say to her, man, do you, can I talk to you about Jesus? I'm just telling you the church, and this is how the church grew. Read, go back to Acts 2. Daily, they were doing life and people, the Lord was adding to the church. And so the scripture says for two years, he reasoned in all of Asia. They didn't say some, all of Asia heard the word. Now, Watch what starts to happen as the word starts to go out. Some really crazy stuff starts to happen. Verse 11. Verse 11 says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that his handkerchief and aprons, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their disease left them and the evil spirits came out from them. Can you imagine Paul's ministry at the birthing of Ephesus? Paul's ministry was so powerful that his sweat cloth would be carried to, he didn't even have to be there for a miracle. They could take a piece of his cloth and take it and lay it on someone that was sick and they would instantly be healed. And so other people started to see this. And when they started to see this, they started to try to mimic the church's ability and the power that the church had and the power that Paul had through the Holy Spirit. They tried to mimic it. Watch what happens. This is so interesting. Look at verse 13. Some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over the evil spirits. This is what they said. I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And so these men are now trying to cast out a demon by the name of Jesus whom they don't know, but Paul knows. Watch what happens. I'm just letting the text preach itself. Verse, uh, verse 14, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them. Let me just pause right there. If you're ever doing an exorcist and the evil spirit speaks back to you, it's time to go. I'm just, <laughs> things aren't going to go well from there. Like I can't even explain like how bad that's going to end for you. So if the evil spirit, if you're saying, you know how they did on exorcist, by the name of, you know, we compel you and they're throwing it. If the evil spirit speaks back, especially if it turns his head, just, just walk out the door like you've lost that one and come back to the house of God. Let's, let's try to store up some more and then go back. But look at verse 15. The evil spirit answered. Look at what the evil spirit said. Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? Like, it's a sad thing. When the demons in your city don't even know you. Like the demons didn't even know these seven sons of Sceva. They said, which is also interesting, that Paul's name is even mentioned in the same sentence as Jesus. Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize that guy. But who are you? Let's keep going. Watch what happens. Verse 16. 
And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered them all, all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Can you imagine this? There is seven sons of Sceva, one demon, one man that's possessed. He jumps on all seven of them, overpowers them. And then the scripture doesn't just say he beats them. They leave the house naked and wounded. Let me just tell you, if, if you ever get in a fight and your clothes fall off, can we agree that you've lost that fight? Like, I don't care if the other person has a black eye, a busted lip, a broken leg, bruised ribs. If your pants are on the other side of the room, you're, you've lost that fight. There's no part of that fight that you can claim. This one demon overpowers seven sons of Sceva. And here's the crazy thing. Remember, we're still in Ephesus. The Lord uses that. How do I know that? Look at verse 17. And this became known to all of the residents of Ephesus and the Lord and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And so through this crazy event, all of the town of Ephesus heard about this and started to worship Jesus. This is how the Holy Spirit used the church at Ephesus to start to start to gain some traction was through crazy events like this. Now it keeps going. This is, I mean, I told you the Lord used this to build my confidence in planting this church. Watch verse 18. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. Verse 19. And a number and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burnt them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord, you should underline this verse. So the word of the Lord continue and to increase and prevail mightily. Imagine this. The church is so on point with what they're doing. And so many people are hearing about the gospel message of Jesus Christ that people start that were into sorcery and magic start to bring their magic sorcery books to the middle of the town of Ephesus and burn them. So much, so many books came that it, the Bible just said 50,000 pieces of silver. I did the math on that. That is 137 years worth of wages were burned in the middle of the town. Imagine how many people that is. They were, the gospel was hitting them so bad that they said, man, I got to give, I got to give my life to Jesus. I got to divulge this practice, this unhealthy demonic practice. See, that's what I love about the gospel. See, when you, when you really, I mean, when Jesus really gets a hold to you, there's no way you can continue in sin. It's just not. I mean, you can be an alcoholic. Jesus saved you. You going home. You pouring out all the alcohol. Like you throwing all the weed. You flushing all the weed down the toilet. Because when Jesus grabs your heart, there's no way you can say, let me light up one more time. I got a problem with drinking, but let me continue to drink. No. The scripture said they brought all their books to the middle of the town of Ephesus. And they didn't read them. They didn't do a seance. They burned them. All of the books. And that is what my hope is, is that the gospel will go out in Brooklyn in such a way that people will start to divulge and denounce the very evil practices that they do. But the story continues. Let's let it preach itself. Verse number 21. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the, in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and in, in Ikea and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must go to Rome. Verse 22. 
And having sent into Macedonia two of the helpers, Timothy and, and Aristus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little dispute, uh, disturbance, I'm sorry, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man, watch this, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who had made silver shrines for, shrines for Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. In other words, he was making money off of building, creating these little shrines for this goddess Artemis, which was the main worship in Ephesus before the church hit. Listen, verse 25. These he gathered together, the workmen in similar trades, and said to them, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned a great away a great and many people saying God's made with hands are not God's. That's such a silly thing. Of course, God's made like they're not God's because I made them. But anyway, they were worshiping these little shrines. Verse 27. And there is a danger not only in this trade of ours, that this trade of ours may come to disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence. She whom all Asia and the world worship. Verse 28. Then they heard this and were enraged and they cried out, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with great confusion. Let us stop there. In Ephesus, the main worship was the worship of this Artemis God. In fact, if you Google the seven wonders of the ancient world, you will see the temple of Artemis, which was in the middle of Ephesus. It was the main place where they went to worship this goddess. And so what you have in the scriptures is this silversmith, Demetrius, which made money off of making these little shrines of this Artemis God, was making all this money. They're no longer to, he's no longer to make money. Because the people he was selling to have now given their lives to the Lord. And so what does he do? He gathers other people. The Bible says of similar trade. And when you look up what similar trade is, that doesn't mean other silversmith. That means other people that made money off of evil practices. So all he gathers all of them together and say, listen, we're no longer making money because the church is on its job. In other words, the government in Ephesus did not control who made money. The church did. The whole economic, socioeconomic makeup of the city was rocked because of the church. Can you imagine what if the church was so on its job that evil businesses had to shut down because the people that, that were making money have now filled into the church, not just this church, any church that's preaching the gospel. Can you imagine what that would be like? Just this week alone, I was driving the boys down to school and we were going down Atlantic and literally Atlantic was shut off from like class into St. Mark's because there was a shooting at the club Beehive. Can you imagine if the young man that was in the club with the gun that got shot by the undercover cop, can you imagine if he was in DNA with one of the brothers in this church? Can you imagine if he was in your small group? What if he was sitting next to you right now worshiping Jesus? Well, guess what? The church at Ephesus shut down places like Beehive. Can you imagine there's at least seven strip clubs? I asked my wife, was it okay that I look up strip clubs because I didn't want her to see my laptop and be like, I got some questions for you. 
So I, I asked her and she said, okay. So I looked up seven strip clubs in Brooklyn. Listen to this. Club Lust, these are right here. Club Lust, Pumps Bar, The Playpen. I love this one. I don't love it, but I love this one. The Artful Bachelorette, whatever that is. The Slippery Room, Foxy Gentleman's Club, Hunkamania. Can you imagine if the church was on its job and preaching the gospel to where these seven strip clubs burned down? Like they stopped being in operation because the men that were going in there putting $10 in a G-string were sitting in your small group. Because the men, that the ladies that were on the poles shaking their tail feathers decided to come in here and worship Jesus. Let me tell you something. The church has power in its city. Weak churches make weak cities. And so we need churches that are preaching the gospel, that are passionate about what they're doing. Why? Because the whole city was rocked. I didn't read the rest of it. We don't have time because I really need to move to the rest of the vision of this church. But a riot took out. Read the rest of Acts 19. A riot takes out in Ephesus, and it was a crazy riot. And the, the riot took out, took off because the church was so powerful that the evil spirits in the city just said, man, let's just start rioting. The church mu must be on its job. The question I have when I read stuff like this is what message did the church proclaim that caused evil spirits to recognize Paul, that caused Jesus' name to be extolled in verse number 17, that caused people to denounce magic, that to cause people that wanted to mimic their, their ministries after Paul. What gospel or message did they preach that caused riots to take out and people to denounce and bring books in the middle of the city. And, and like, what message did they, did they preach that even the socioeconomic makeup of the city, the church controlled who made money? What message did they preach? Well, we're not left with that question unanswered. If you go, and we don't have to go there now because I've preached it many times, but if you go to Ephesians chapter 2, you will see that the message that Paul proclaims in Ephesus is the one true gospel message of Jesus Christ. Verses 1 through 10 of Ephesians true. He starts out, and it's not too well for us. Verse number 1, he starts off and says, you are dead in your sins. That's the message that they would have preached that rocked the whole city. You're dead in your sins. And that doesn't mean, that's an absolute statement. That doesn't mean you were in danger of death. It doesn't mean you were on a trajectory of death. Paul is saying, no, you're dead. You're not sick. You're not in a coma. You are dead in the trespasses of your sin. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of a guy named Jeremy Bentham. He is a British philosopher. He died in 1832. He's the founder of the University College of London. And before he died, he told the, the University College that he would give his entire state to the, a state to the college on one condition, that they preserve his body after he dies and wills him up to every board meeting. Kid you not, Google his name when you go home, Jeremy Bentham. Every, for 183 years, they would wheel up Jeremy Bentham and they would say, Jeremy Bentham is present but not voting. Listen to me, dead people can't vote. And that is, we are Jeremy Bentham outside of Jesus Christ. We are the walking dead outside of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, you're dead in your sins. 
dead people can't clean themselves up. Dead people can't, as the scripture said last week, present themselves blameless before the presence of God's glory. Dead people need somebody to make them alive. Well, here's the great thing. In the same book that he sends a letter back to Ephesus, when he sends, when Paul sends a letter back to them in chapter two, verse four of Ephesians, then he says, but God being rich in mercy with his great love makes us alive together with Christ. You and I that were dead in our trespasses and sins were made alive together with Christ. This is the message that Paul would have proclaimed to start the church at Ephesus. And this is the message that they continue to proclaim that sustained the message. And so the church doesn't have a gospel problem. The church typically has a vision problem. How do we get that gospel out? Do we just gather in here, preach the gospel, and then go our separate ways? Or do we actually live out the gospel? So what I want to do is for the remainder of my time, which is not a lot of time, I would rather walk you through the vision of our church briefly and then point you to 2016, some things that we did, and then point you to 2017 really quickly. And so uh, I'm going to ask Gabe to just flow through this. Let me first go to the mission of our church. The mission statement of our church, we say it very frequently, is that we exist to join Jesus and his mission to redeem our city. There's a lot packed into that mission statement. What we're basically saying is that the church doesn't have its own mission. Epiphany Church does not have a mission. God's mission has a church. So we fit within what God has been doing in Brooklyn for years. Listen, we're not some new phenomenon. This is not like we're not doing something that hasn't already been done. We are existing to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. We are about city renewal. And we do that in a few ways. But the primary way we do that is through the preaching of Jesus Christ and through the living out of Jesus Christ. And so that is the mission statement of our church. Our core values, I'll go through these quickly. These are on our website as well. Uh, Christ-centeredness or Christocentrism, which... Uh, Colossians 1:16, it talks about how all things were created for him and through him, talking about Jesus Christ. Don't get it twisted. We preach Christ here. If you do not love Jesus or you do not like Jesus, it's hard to be fellowshipping here because we talk about him and we sing about him and we do communion to remember him. We are about Christ-centeredness. Commitment is the second one, commitment to God, but also commitment to his body. That's a very important piece of our walk. It's not just you and God. No, it was you and God and his body. And so we believe in commitment. We believe in community, uh, biblical community. We believe in conversions. Let me stop there for a second. Let me say that at least two more times. We believe in conversions. We believe in conversions. I do not think the church can grow from transferred growth. We're just swapping members from one church to another. The church must grow off of conversions. And the only way people can be converted is if they hear the gospel. And can I just tell you that the first time they hear the gospel should not be when they come here. But they should hear the gospel when you have shared the gospel with them. When you've walked them through who Jesus Christ is. And so the goal is for, again, for you to scatter into the places that you dwell and your neighbors. Like some of us, our neighbors don't even know we trust Jesus. They don't even know we're believers. But, what, but the goal is to grow the church through conversions. Culturally relevant ministries, 1 Chronicles 
1232 says that the men of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel ought to do. Culturally relevant ministry simply means that the church is relevant to Brooklyn. Brooklyn has its own type of vibe and its own swag, and the church doesn't change the message of Christ, nor do we change the Bible. We preach the Bible because the Bible is relevant. Does that make sense? All right, we can keep going. Our beliefs. This is not all of them, but I tried to highlight the main ones, the centrality of Jesus. I just said that. We believe in the centrality of Jesus, which is why I'll never sit up here and preach a message and not talk about Jesus. Never. And sometimes I'm not even creative. Let's be honest. I say the same thing the exact same way. Like, let's be honest. I'm a one-trick pony, and it's intentional. Why? Because we forget. We tend to forget, and so we constantly must be hearing about Jesus. And so it's the centrality of Jesus. The Holy Scriptures, there'll never be a time when you come in here and I don't have this. If you come in here and I don't have this and I stand up here, you should just leave. You should leave. There's no other reason for us to gather. We're gathering around the word of God. And that's how we started our church too. We started our church September 6th. Well, didn't start on September 6th, but our first Bible study was September 6th of 2015. And we didn't start with events. We didn't start with engaging social issues. We, and they, these are important things, but we started with Bible study intentionally because we needed to build the church off the word of God. And so we believe in the Holy Scriptures. Believe in salvation but being by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We do not subscribe to any other way to be saved. You are not saved if you said I'm saved because I came to church and because I prayed two times today. You're not saved because of that. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. That's it. And then gospel priority, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. The gospel is of first importance. So we proclaim that message on a consistent basis. All right, our target area, many of you know this, you're sitting in Bed-Stuy, and so that is our target area. This is actually our third location. Our first location was on Tompkins and Putnam when we first started. How many was, was with us at Tompkins and Putnam? Cool, it's a few of us. Okay, cool. Our second location was on Marcy, uh, not Marcy, on Nostrand and Halsey at the Voodoo Lounge and the, the bar. I mean, that's just, <laughs> listen, you got to do what you got to do when you start the church. Some people was asking me, what do you mean? I'm like, the Voodoo Lounge? They're like, What? Anyway, so that was our second location. Uh, our th third location and hopefully final location for a while will be here. Um, population, Be Bedford-Stuyvesant has a population of 155,000 people. That is a lot of people, which means that we need more churches planted. This cannot be the only church planted from this church in Brooklyn. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned and, and think we need to plant other churches in uh, other parts of the world and other parts of the domestically and other parts of America and even other boroughs. But I so would love to see the Lord raise men up here and plant them here in Brooklyn. This is not like we don't feel like we have a monopoly on Brooklyn. Like, man, this is the only. No, we need to be we need to be a church that plants churches. And so that's coming. We're not stable enough yet, but that is coming. 155,000 people. The ethnic makeup of the city, I'm going to run through these quickly, 65% black. You have to say black, you can't say African-American because there's, there's Haitian, there's Caribbean, there's, uh, there, there's, all, there's all types of, underneath, underneath the umbrella of black is a whole bunch of uh, minorities. 20% Hispanic, 11% white, 
2% Asian, 2% other. Uh, and that is changing. Let's make no mistake about it. Gentrification is happening. You can complain about it or you can embrace it and share the gospel with trans transplants. Either one. So I would choose not to complain. I choose to embrace what the Lord is doing in Bed-Stuy. Uh, but we try to focus. I mean, this is what the church should look like. If that's what's in Bed-Stuy, that's what the church should look like. So we should not be an all-black church. We should not be an all-white church. We should not be an all-Hispanic church. We should see those numbers reflected consistently here because that's what's in the neighborhood. We can keep going. Population by age, and there's a reason I put this up here. Uh, zero to 17 is 20, makes up 25% of Bed-Stuy. This is not all Brooklyn. 18 to 24 make up 12%. 25 to 44 make up 32%. 45 to 64 make up 22%. And 65 plus makes up 10%. I want to highlight to you 18 to 24 and 25 to 44 because that is a target that we have as a church. Number one, because... That's the, it's classified as the hardest age to reach. And so we want to reach them. Not to mention, if you go down the streets to some of the more historical uh, African-American churches in this neighborhood, if you go to some of them, you'll see 45 to 65 plus. And I'm not knocking that. What I'm saying is we need to be a church that's targeting, especially if they make up, what is 12 and 32, 44 Man, I'm glad I did that number right. Y'all would have laughed. And Tracy would not have let me live that one down. So I'm glad I got that number right. Um, 44% of the population, think about that. That's almost half of the population is between the age ranges that our church is hoping to reach. So that's very important for us. All right, I'm going to take us back to 2016 briefly and then push us to 2017. This is uh, our second location. This was uh, before we launched. So this was Bible study phase. Um, and so... Did a lot in that room. We maximized the space. Y'all remember how tight it was. We'd wheel out the bar every single, that long, huge wooden. Y'all remember that, that wooden bar? We'd wheel that thing out and wheel it back in. And the Lord was faithful to us uh, in that stage. And so that's our Bible study stage. I'm just running you through some events that happened in 2016. We launched in 2016. Uh, we launched March 20th of 2016. Uh, isn't that cute? Uh, <laughs> I put Gabe and Keisha on the screen because uh, we hired Gabe in April, mid-April. April 18th, we brought Gabe on as the operations manager, and that helped us in so many ways. Can y'all thank God for Gabe? We love Gabe, and that just fits his personality so well. All right, we can keep going. Uh, we did numerous, I mean, we handed out, I can't even imagine how many cups of coffee we've handed out at this point, but we've, we used to stand on the corner. Uh, we'll do it again starting in March once it cools down, cools down, once it warms up a little bit, we'll, we'll do more uh, coffee, and then when it gets hot, we'll switch that over to water. It's a good way for us to engage the neighborhood. We did prayer walks. Again, we'll start those back up in March. This was one of the prayer walks that we did. Those are church-wide prayer walks, and so we hope for everybody to go. And at some point, if we get large enough, we'll have different sections of people throughout Bed-Stuy praying. Instead of all of us walking one area, we'll have two or three, you know, to try to cover more ground. So we did prayer walks in 2016. Y'all remember the barbecue we did in 2016 at Herbert Von King Park? That was great. Fed NYPD. 
you see a baseball team up there came through to get food and we pulled the grills out and had music and just fellowshiped and then you guys came. And so uh, we try to do stuff like this. This is very important, again, for city renewal. This is very important for us to do stuff like this because this isn't marketing. We handed out no flyers this day. Like we didn't, this isn't for people to come to the church. I mean, that would be nice, but this is for us to just love on the community. And Brooklyn, is, they don't understand free. It's like free. What, is, what does that mean? It's like, man, they're just burgers and hot dogs. Anyway, so we did the barbecue in the summertime. Uh, this was so interesting. We handed out water. Water, what is it called here? Ices. I came from Philly. It's water ice. You know, but you sinful people want to say ices. It's all right. Water ice. I'll say ices to be contextually, contextually relevant. Um, it was so interesting. So this Saturday, this was a Sunday after church. This Saturday, the guy in the blue that's under the umbrella, I saw him at Home Depot, and I'm like, yo, listen, I'll give you $100 tomorrow if you show up at this time, at this location, and just give out ICs. $100. He was like, great, okay. And he showed up on time. And so when we let out of church, we just gave out ICs to some of you and your kids, but also to the community, anybody that walked by, we just wanted to give ICs out. And so we like doing little stuff like this. And this was a cheap outreach for us, $100, and we got to engage the community. It's very important for church plants to do stuff like that. Um, we handed out belts, at, belts and ties. And this week was a great week. This is part of our partnership with Excellence Boys School. Uh, Principal TS is, is here. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. If you could raise your hand. He's principal of Excellence Boys School, a dear friend. Uh, love that brother. He's doing an amazing job. And uh, also Victoria works there as well. And so does uh, Patrick. Man, y'all just hiring everybody from the church. <laughs> Get me a job over at Excellence Boys School. <laughs> but this week we served the staff and we gave out uh, food. This is our second year doing that. We loved it. Just, we sit down and actually eat food with the staff and just tell them how much like teacher. We don't have to wait till teacher appreciation day to tell the teachers we appreciate them. And so we did that, uh, and we handed out ties and belts because they are a school that wears uniforms. Uh, and so we, we did that with them. We also are partnering this year, not only with Excellence Boys School, but also with PS297, which we talked about with the coat, coat drive. That's just the beginning of what we're going to do with that school. And that school has been classified by the government as a failing school. And it's right by Marcy Projects and Tompkins. And so it is a... It's a, it's a rough area, and the kids, there, there are needs there. So um, we'll be partnering with them as well. We started small groups in the fall. We got four small groups now, uh, in, uh, two in Bed-Stuy, one in Flatbush, and one in Crown Heights. And so our, our East Flatbush? East Flatbush, okay, East Flatbush. Um, I should know where the small groups are, right? Uh, East Flatbush is where the, one of the locations is. The goal is to beef those up, and I'll talk a little bit about those. Are we okay with time, guys? Y'all all right? Yeah. All right. Y'all look fine. Okay. Uh, so we'll, 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 I'm going to talk more about how to beef those up and some things that we need to do. But small groups is a big, big, big part of our community. Like I just told you, one of our core values is community. DNA and small groups is how we flesh that out here. So we started small groups in the fall. Uh, that is the old, that is this space before it was renovated. Uh, it, it was an old gym, so that carpet was so nasty. When I say, like, I don't even know what was up in, underneath that thing. But we, you know, tried to do some work on this. You see, this was all, like, some, somebody did some type of painting. It was, like, a sky or something up there. Um, but 
the Lord provided for us to get this space and then provided for us to do some cosmetic work. And so we got to do that. That took a lot of our time toward the end of the summer into the fall. Uh, but thank God. That I hope you guys like this space. And we try to take care of it and we try to do as much as possible. But again, your giving helps us to do stuff like this. And believe it or not, I know it's like, well, why do you need a space? You can, you know, do setup and breakdown. And that's cool. But what happens in Bed-Stuy is because we're surrounded by so many historical African-American churches, the community doesn't understand set up and they don't understand you setting up at, a, at the voodoo lounge. Grandma that's been here for 50 years does not understand you setting up at the voodoo lounge. They understand church as the building. And so we don't want this to be the goal. But at the same time, this helps us to facilitate and do ministry. We're not here because we want to give the setup and breakdown team a break. We are here because it helps us to do ministry. All right, let's keep going. Uh, covenant community class, man, the people on that top, when y'all just don't look happy. I, I was looking at this picture going, man, I hope they're not sad and upset. Um, we did our first com covenant community class. This is our covenant community literally means our membership class. And so those of you who are not members that want to be members, we're doing the, the next three weeks will be our covenant community class. And we want you guys to participate. So please sign up for that as well. But we did our first one in the fall as well. Uh, we did our Thanksgiving outreach. That was, that was great. Like we fed over 300 people the night before Thanksgiving. And many of them told us that was the only Thanksgiving meal that they were going to get. And so that was such a blessing for us. Again, city renewal. We are about the city. And so we didn't charge a dime. We didn't charge for the plates. We didn't charge for the food. We just wanted people to come in. And then we provided an atmosphere where we could sit down. Because Thanksgiving is never about grab a plate and go. It's about the conversations you have and engaging other people. And so we sat down with people and got to, some people left, but we got to engage people and talk with people. And that was just, a, that's, a, that's a joy for us. And then Pastor E preached, uh, Dr. Mason preached a couple of weeks ago. Uh, anybody, I'll talk a little bit about the connection. They are our sending church. They sent us from Philadelphia uh, to New York to plant the church. So he preached a couple of weeks ago. All right, plans for 2017. We have a lot of plans for 2017. Um, I could not put them all on here, but I put the most, um, the most prevalent ones in that. The ones that I want you guys to be praying about, thinking about, and seeing how you can engage this uh, through the local church. The first one is a veil, and let me explain what a veil is. We'll actually have a representative here next week that will talk to you guys a little bit. Anybody ever heard of a veil? A couple of people. Okay, so a veil is a... Um, it's like a pregnancy crisis center started by Redeemer Church in the city. And they're, they're amazing. They do really, really great work with helping people, especially preg through pregnancies, consider not going the abortion route. Do we, do we, can we all agree that abortion is not a good thing? It's not a biblically, biblically good thing. Like, Jesus, like God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God knew you before you were in the womb. And so we want to push people to go all the way through. And a lot of times people have abortions because they feel like they have no help, feel like they have no support. And so we can't start a pregnancy crisis center yet because we're not of the age of a church that we can do that. But we can join into a ministry, a mercy ministry that's already doing it. So we'll have um, uh, the representative from Avail will come here next week to talk a little bit to us. Hear this number, 62 percent 
of African-American women in the 11216 zip code, this Bed-Stuy zip code, 62% of the pregnancies end in abortion. 60, I thought it was 44. I went and talking with a veil like, yeah, 44%. And they're like, you're actually wrong. It's 62%. That's a huge number. And the church should be doing something about that. And so we will partner with them through the year and figure out ways. Because so many people have partnered with us. So how can we partner in um, and help places like uh, this avail? So you'll hear a little bit more about that next week. Mass incarceration, Rikers Island. I'm going to talk briefly about this. This is so important. The Lord really laid this on my heart. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but um, mass incarceration is a huge deal, especially amongst young black men. Like it's, it's a big, it's a problem. It's a huge problem. And the reason I put Rikers Island is because it's the closest one to us. But also 82% of the inmates in Rikers Island haven't been convicted of the crime that they're in jail for. Like, consider that because Rikers Island isn't, they, they're not some upstate prison. This is a, a, a holding jail. T like, 10 to 12,000 inmates are in Rikers right now. 10 months in Rikers will change a man. And so, you know, I've sat down in my office across from, across from inmates that came out of Rikers, and they told me stories that, that like, gripped my heart. And so what we'll do is I want to bring some attention to this uh, we're not trying to take on all of mass incarceration. We're not trying to, we don't think we can fix the whole system, but we can do something. And the first thing I want to do is bring an awareness to you guys that there is an issue. And so what we'll do is next month we are going to have a, um, we're, we're going to hold a, 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 a atmosphere where we'll watch a documentary on Rikers Island. I have a documentary and then we'll have some of the former inmates from Rikers Island to come here and answer questions and talk to you about their, you know, when they were at Rikers. And so be on the lookout for that. Again, this is just to bring awareness to you that there's a problem. And if you have a problem with cursing, and I get, and I get it, but if you have a problem with cursing or um, just looking at, like, just really, like, hard stuff to watch, you may not want to come to this particular event because these are inmates, and you're going to hear a little bit of everything from their story. And so uh, we'll, we'll do that uh, next month, and we'll put that date out to you real soon. All right, other plans that I have for 2017 are fourth Wednesday night prayer and Bible study. We have to build that up. Notice I said prayer and Bible study because we are changing the format of what Bible study looked like. Before it was, you come in at 7 o'clock on the fourth Wednesday night of the month, and we walk through, we're actually going through all of the Bible, Genesis, we're still in Genesis, but Genesis all the way to Revelation. Um, but we're changing the format of that. We're actually in adding prayer as a component to our Bible study. And so what will happen is you'll come in at 7 o'clock, the lights will be dimmed, I'll be on my knees right here praying. And I hope my hope and prayer is that you guys would fill in from 7 to 7.30, come in off your busy day, your chaotic day, and come in, drop to your knees, and let's pray to the Lord. From 7 to 7.30, we'll do that. And then 7.30 on the, y'all know me, I, we got to start on time. 7.30 on the dot, we will move into a time of worship, and then we will, a short time of worship, and then we'll go through the Bible. We'll do some Bible study. So I really want to beef those up. My hope and prayer is that our Wednesday nights would look like this. That's my hope. And we can get there. We just have to be really, really consistent. So I wanted to put that before you. One week VBS. VBS is Vacation Bible School. 
Um, many of you may not even know what that is, but in the summertime, we're going to do a one-week VBS. And we are at the, at the point where we're identifying who that VBS director will be for that week. And then after we identify that, we have a partner church that's going to come in and help us do VBS. And so we'll ask for your help. We will ask for your help. We're going to provide breakfast. We're going to provide lunch. And we're going to have kids in this room. We want to cap it at 50 kids. But we'll have kids not just in this room but throughout the whole space from 9 to 3 o'clock every day that week. And then that Sunday, they'll work on something all week and they'll present it to you on Sunday morning. So this is the first time we get to do that. And we, it's going to be a joy for us. We want community kids here completely free. They, we're not charging them anything. We just want them to come and be in the atmosphere where they can hear about Jesus. All right? We're doing a block party this summer. We, we need your help, though. All that going, yay. I'm like, all right, I need you. We're doing a block party this summer um, where we want to shut a block down. We want to have face painting and balloons and, you know, grills and uh, prayerfully a stage and have, you know, some music going, maybe some artists uh, performing live. But we want to do a block party this summer. We're trying to work through some permit stuff now. And so be on the lookout for when that date is. And again, we'll put that before you because we will need help with that. Conversions, I kind of mentioned that so we can keep going. Strengthen our small groups and DNA. I mentioned it, but let me just talk about it again. Um, the church, our, one of our core values is community. And so um, it's, I know some of you can't make small groups. Some of you can't make fourth Wednesday night Bible study. Some of you are trying to figure out what does DNA even mean, discipleship, nurture, and accountability. I, what I would love to do is, so if you go to the website or if you go to the app, or sometimes we have information. We'll have more information next week out here uh, for you. But we really, really want to push that small groups is a big, big deal. I'm hoping that our small groups this year will double from four to it's just too many in this one little house. So we'll now move to, um, to eight. That's my goal is to get to at least eight by the end of the year. But we need you guys to be committed to small groups and to DNA. DNA, I mean, the Lord never saved you with the intent that you are going to go through life by yourself. It's not Christianity. Christianity is, no, you are a part of a, a body. And so that being a part of a body means that somebody is there that knows you. I mean, that's how we do. We fly under the radar. We go in church and we slip out. Because we don't want nobody to know us. Because if they know us, then they're going to see the trifling stuff we do. You know, they're going to see my Facebook and I don't want you all in my business. But the truth of the matter is we need people in our business. We need people to challenge us and to know us. And so uh, small groups in DNA is, is very important for us. Uh, become more internally financial, financially stable. This is important for us. I put these three um, organizations on the presentation because you need to know that we are a part of these. So if you go to the website, you'll see it. But well, we are a part of the North American Mission Board. We're a part of Acts 29. I can't tell you how many people ask me, what is Acts 29? There's only 28 chapters of Acts, and I, I get that. It just means, Acts 29 means we're continuing the work of the apostles. That's the thought of Acts 29. Uh, some of you are like, it's only 28. I don't get it. Um, Orchard Group is another one. You only see their logo here. That's Orchard Group, the red one. And we are a part of that church planting network. These are networks and denominations, kind of North American Mission Board. It's kind of, they're under Southern Baptist. Uh, these are organizations that are passionate about church planting. 
So when we say we want to be a church that plants churches, when we go to plant another church, these organizations will help us. The other one I don't have up here because it's still forming. I was in a meeting all day yesterday um, about uh, a, a network of churches, Epiphany Network of Churches. That is something that we're trying to form so that we can better do not just church planting, but church planting in the inner city. It's a huge difference from church planting in the suburbs to church planting in an urban inner city. And so we're trying to strengthen and see guys come through a pipeline that are trained and equipped and ready to plant churches. And so these are the organizations we are a part of. But I really want to touch really quickly on becoming internally financially secure. The reason I really want to say that is are stable is because most of our money between 80 to 90% of our income comes from the outside. When I say that churches underneath of these organizations pour into our church for a period of time until we're able to become more stable. So it's, you think of it like an infant, you have a baby and you have to nurture and feed that baby. But at some point that baby has to be grown and get out your house, and get a job, like, amen. So what, so what happens with the church plan is there's a period. We're, we're in the infancy stage. We just, less than a year we've launched. And so there's a lot of outside support that happens, but that is not going to happen forever. The church needs to be sustained through your giving, your sacrificial giving. And so if you, I don't want you to hear this like, here we go. I knew it. I was waiting for him to ask for money. If, if that's your disposition, listen, keep coming and keep your money. No, we're not asking for your money if you have that type of a disposition with the church. Maybe, and maybe it's real. Maybe you've been hurt through church giving at your old church or at former churches. Uh, we're not about money. Listen, I have a Toyota Corolla that got a dent in it, and I'm okay. Like, I don't want, I'm not trying to floss. I'm not trying to, I'm just not. I would rather see the gospel floss in our city, in cities like ours, and so the resources that you give, you saw what we did in 2016, and we want to do more. And many people are hindered with vision because there's no resources. But we can't be a church that's hindered with doing, re with doing vision because no one's giving. And so we, my, and many of you are. So let me not make that blanket statement. But if you're not or if you can, consider we, what do you do with, and don't make it a, I'll give what's left. Like, what if Jesus did? What if God did that? I know they need saving, but let me give them what I got left. No, Jesus looked, God looked at Jesus and said, I'm going to give my best. I'm going to give not just my best, heaven's best. I'm giving him. And so our giving is, our motivation for giving is not fear. It's not control. The motivation for you giving is because God gave to you. And you give back to him by giving through the local church. And I promise you, we, in a tight way, we have accountability with how we spend money. If you think I'm sitting up going, well, let's write this check and let's, I'm not doing that. What we are doing is we have a management team of pastors from these networks that provide accountability. What are you doing with that? And that's what we need. Truth is, I've never budgeted. I've never, we need it. I'm just telling you. When I tell you churches get in trouble Churches get in trouble financially with embezzlement and stuff. Some of it is griminess, but some of it is just ignorance. People just don't know. And so we need accountability. We have lawyers that look at our resources. 
There's, we have people that, that watch our, I mean, even before we signed the lease for this place, there was a group of people that had to sign off before we signed the lease for a place. This is important for us. So internally, financially stable is important for us. Last uh, slide I have, and I really want to push this to you. Uh, we are going to, we'll put this out through social media and on our website as well, is Acts 1-8 vision. Acts 1-8 vision. If you read Acts 1-8, it says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, or the uttermost parts of the earth. And so our Jerusalem here, this is how all of our decisions financially, how we, what we, how we hire people in the future, all of it will be based on this. How are we doing meeting Jerusalem? Jerusalem is Brooklyn. Bed-Stuy, not just Brooklyn. Our Jerusalem is here based off of this scripture. And then Judea, we want to plant and support church, other church planters across the five boroughs. And then Samaria, we want to do ministry domestically. We want to see Cleveland reach. We want to see Ohio reach. We want to see Chicago reach. 768 deaths in Chicago in 2016, they need more churches. So our church should be able to fund or even send one of y'all out to Chicago to be able to plant a church. So that's Samaria. And then the ends of the earth, we want to support missionaries. We want to send people to different parts of the world so that they can do ministry. This is very important for the church. And so I'm pushing you guys a little bit further, but that is our goal and our hope. Is this okay? Yes. And you guys on board? Yes. All right, so let me do this. Let me pray for our time. Uh, get the worship team up here. We'll, we'll do communion and, uh, and we will go home. Uh, Father, thank you for your word, first of all. Thank you for the, the power and the unstoppable nature that we just saw in Acts chapter 19. Like your church is unstoppable. Father, I pray that the churches here in Bed-Stuy would be churches that are passionate about the gospel, passionate about reaching people, passionate about loving people, and passionate about seeing people go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. Father, we, we need to stabilize here. And would you help us? As we roll out this vision, Father, I pray that people would grab a hold and say, I want a piece of that. Not for me, not for us to build a mini kingdom, but for us to see your kingdom go forward. Father, we pray for conversions this year. We want to see lost people meet you. That's the goal, that people that do not know you would fall deeply in love with you and that you would change every aspect of their life. Father, would you do that for your glory and for your honor? Forgive us for fickleness and for being sometimey, Forgive us for our lack of engagement in the local church. Forgive us, Lord. And may we start fresh in 2017. And may we be a people that are serious about seeing your power go out, which really is the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. May we be serious about that. And so bless this vision and bless this church and keep us until Jesus returns. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.